Welcome! You're listening to the Pastor's Class Podcast. Either you couldn't make it to class last weekend, or you're just wanting a refresher on what was taught. This is the place for you. You can also visit our website at pastorsclass.org for any other information you might need. We really do hope this message blesses you and that you leave here with more knowledge of the Word of God in your heart. And again, thank you for listening. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold of Euphaz around his waist, and his body was like beryl, and his face like the appearance of lightning, and his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. And then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. Man, that's an awesome picture of the Lord, isn't it? Yeah. I'm in Jeremiah chapter 1. And I want to give you that because sometimes we need to start with just a picture of kind of who God is, who the Lord is, how powerful. I mean, Daniel here sees the Lord in this particular one. We're in Jeremiah tonight, but Daniel sees the Lord. He sees his brightness, his brilliance, how beautiful he is. And he falls to the ground without strength like he's left for dead. That's the powerful presence of our God. The good news is is that he touches Daniel on the shoulder and he receives a strength again. Um. But yeah, we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 1. We're going to take a break from Acts tonight. And um, we're going to cover this business about calling. Um, Have you ever thought about your calling in life? Maybe there's some of you that you already know it. Like you just, you just, uh, you know, you're more aware of yourself. You've kind of grown up that way. Maybe you started out as a Christian early. you know, things, the Lord lined things out in your life to where uh, you just kind of knew your giftings and abilities and these things just, just came to you and, and the Lord guided your life into the calling that he would have for you. But, but to be honest with you, a lot of Christians, just, they just don't know it. I would say most Christians that I deal with don't know their calling. They have no clue. They have no clue what their abilities are, what their talents are. They, they, don't, they don't pursue those things, absolutely. They just don't know. And so that kind of this mentality of, well, I'll just take whatever I can get. This kind of, I'll just get the leftovers. I'll just kind of go with the flow of culture. I'll just go with whatever, you know, just kind of the leading, the flow of the current, so to speak. And I'll just take a job here or I'll just help this person or that. But really, calling can be defined. Uh, and I love the way my mentor, Old Testament scholar, Dr. Halen says it. He calls it a supernatural beckoning. Oftentimes the action, but it's always been associated with like vocational ministry, although that's not entirely true because your calling can be not in vocational ministry, obviously. Um, For example, your calling can be called uh, to salvation, obviously, through Jesus Christ. That's the main calling, right, Uh, for all people to come to faith in Christ, this calling God calls to salvation through his son. But also... Sometimes to certain tasks, certain jobs, and certain vocations, this idea of a special calling 
in our lives. All of these involve the kingdom work that he has for each one of us. Sometimes you can have multiple callings, and sometimes those callings will change over time. You may find yourself in a business as uh, leading companies, and that may change. And you may find yourself uh, counseling people for particular issues or find yourself in music, and then now you're running a business. So callings can change over time, and you can have multiple callings. And so I always like to bring you kind of something to bless you with. Uh, I love church history, and I love to bring those kind of things when I can. So I'm going to bring you Origen tonight to give you a story. Um, He is considered a church father in the Greek category. We have apostolic church fathers like Polycarp, Clement, but we also have Greek church fathers and the Latin church fathers. And so you see this apostles teaching being carried through the generations from the apostles themselves all the way to the next generation and the church fathers, the Greek fathers, Latin fathers, all the way up. You have the Protestant Reformation, this division of the Catholic church. You have it all the way into American Christianity and where we are today. But Origen was, according to Eusebius, not quite 17 when Septimius Severus' persecution of the Christians began in the 10th year of his reign, according to ecclesiastical history, which gives the approximate date of Origen's birth, 185 AD, and he died around the reign of Gallus, which was the death, uh, his death was about 240 or 254 AD. But he lived in a turbulent time in history. The Roman Empire was facing barbarian invasions across Europe regularly, uh, threatening the stability of the Roman Empire. Uh, His was also a time of immense persecution as Christians, notably during the reigns of Emperor Severus and Maximum and Decius, so that Origen's life began and it ended with persecution. Persecution so severe that they called him a heretic and cast him out for his untraditional thinking. And that thinking was is that he, his idea was, as I want to be educated in Greek philosophy and in the Gentile ways of things, the liberal arts and those kind of things, but I also have my Christian faith, and I want to be immense and, and educated in the biblical studies, and I want to bring those together to help defend the faith. And that's really what his life was about. He would be considered today what we call a Christian apologetic or a Christian apologist. And he quotes here in one of his works, I want to be a man of the church to be called of Christ. His contra selsum, in fact, is one of the finest defenses of Christianity produced in the early church, answering the charge that Christians, by refusing military service, right, fail the test of good citizenship, he wrote. But actually, what's happening here as Christians is that we who by our prayers destroy demons which stir up wars and violate oaths and disturb the peace are of more help to the emperors than those who seem to be doing the fighting. It's the prayers that are knocking down the strongholds, not just the physical. And he brought that to the authorities of his time. His family was devoutly Christian. He's likely educated. His father um, died a martyr for his faith. And uh, he made sure that Origen was schooled in biblical studies uh, from his youth, and also Hellenistic education, which is the, uh, the, the Greek um, and liberal arts and those things, Greek philosophy. Um, he was 17 when he took over as headmaster over a catechism school uh, at Alexandria, which was for those who were wanting to be members of a church. That's how they did it then. Um, he became interested in Greek philosophy quite early in his life, 
studying for a while under Ammonius Saccas, the teacher of Plotinus, in order to better defend his faith against pagan arguments. And that was crazy rampart back then. Is, is, I mean, it is today too, but it's interesting how you, history kind of continues like that. But that's what he was about. And uh, it's probably that around that same time where he starts his writing on his first principles as his one works. Uh, but eventually he sells his library, abandoning for a short time his uh, pagan Greek um, wisdom, though he would eventually return to the studies, but he would, he would cut ties with all of that and just pursue his faith, which was so, no small measure for him. But uh, he was ever more dedicated eventually to the biblical texts and the sophisticated um, explanation of them. And that's what really apologetics is, is this idea of not this defense of the faith, like First Peter says, um, but he was an unlikely candidate uh, in church history. And there's so many people like him in the Bible that are, uh, that, you know, are influential leaders, but they just don't start out that great, you know. Um, for example, Abraham and Sarah. They said, I'm too old, 100 years old. I'm too old to have a child. And yet they did. And then Moses, I'm a poor speaker, slow of speech, not eloquent. And then there's Jeremiah, uh, I'm too young, we're going to see that tonight. And yet God called them to do some extraordinary things. But what about you? I mean, this lesson isn't just me up here talking, so, you know, this is you, so you can contemplate and you can reflect on what your calling is right now, right where you are, what are you involved in, how has God equipped you, what abilities and talents and things do you have? Have you ever pursued those things? Have you ever written them down or thought about them? Have you ever prayed over them and those kind of things? Have you ever pursued what your calling might be? Or maybe you're already in it and you know what that is and you are uh, full charge through that. The truth is, though, um, you just sometimes you just feel insignificant if you don't know your calling and you don't feel like you're fulfilling it in your life, um, that you're not making this big enough impact for God's kingdom. And I love what my vice president of student development, Mark Worley, once said. He says, there's no insignificant people in the kingdom of God. And he tells our students this all the time. And I've been reading Brother Lawrence lately. I love that book, Practice the Presence of God. And he says, it doesn't matter if you're mopping floors or you're flipping omelets. It's all for the glory of God. And I love that about his life. But sometimes we do hear about these amazing things. Uh, we see other Christians serving the Lord and, and posting about it and, and, you know, just sharing what all they're doing. And we just feel like we're not making a big enough impact. Or we see other Christians living out their calling. We just kind of wonder, you know, did God, uh, did, did, he, did he skip me when he called names? But, but I'm here tonight to give you this lesson to know that you do have a calling each one of you, not just a general calling to know Christ, as some of us, most of us already know, but a special calling unique to you, unique to your setting, unique to your abilities, unique to your talents, to your context. And it doesn't matter if you're too young or you think you're too old or you're not, you think you're not a good enough speaker. The Lord has created you for this calling. And I encourage everyone to pursue, Lord, reveal what that is to me. And maybe you've been tossing around in your mind, maybe 
you know, maybe I'm supposed to teach or maybe I'm supposed to be an, an encourager or a, a pastor or evangelist or maybe I'm supposed to come out of that and, and maybe I'm supposed to not only do that but lead a business or start a business or whatever that is. I encourage you to pursue the Lord on those things. So the title of this message is Jeremiah's Calling, Our Calling. And really his life is depressing at best. It's pretty sad, really, and so I wanted to bring that to you to maybe depress you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but he's a great example of the worst example, if you could say that. Um, his life began as the rabbis called him the, weepy, the weeping prophet. They said he began wailing the moment he was born, and Michelangelo painted him on the Sistine Chapel. He presented him in a posture of despair. He looks like a man who wept so long he has no tears left to shed. His face is turned to one side, a man who has been battered by many blows. His shoulders are hunched forward down by the sins of Judah. His eyes are cast down as if he no longer bears to see God's people suffer, and his hand covers his mouth. Perhaps he has nothing left to say. He was a preacher's son, for his father was Hilkiah, a priest, and he was born in the village of Athoth, close to Jerusalem, to city walls he could see, sat on the edge of the wilderness, and uh, where the slopes down to the Dead Sea, he labored as God's prophet for 40 or more years, 627 to sometime 586. Four decades is a long time to be a weeping prophet. Jeremiah lived when little Israel was tossed by three great superpowers. Assyria to the north, Egypt to the south, and Babylon to the east. He served, he suffered through administrations of three kings, Josiah the reformer, Jehoiakim the despot, and Zedekiah the puppet. He was a prophet during the cold November winds of Judah's life as a nation, right up to the time God's people were deported to Babylon. Jeremiah himself would die exiled to Egypt. But Jeremiah was called as a prophet to God, to the nations, by declaring his word to the people, a doubtful candidate, a doubtful time, a dangerous calling, and a depressing finale. So let's read the scripture together and just see how God uses this guy here. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anatoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, till the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, O oh Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a youth, for to, all, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. Whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms 
to pluck up and to break down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. And then the Lord said to me, you've seen well, for I'm watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all of the tribes of the kingdom of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come. And everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls and around and all around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil and forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worship the works of their own hands. But you dress yourself for work, arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah and its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So I want to look at some highlights from this text here to kind of get our minds around what's going on here. Look at verse 6. Jeremiah is hesitant to answer God's call for his life. He says, Oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. Jeremiah knew what God wanted him to do, yet even after he received his divine call, he was still a hesitant candidate. He had two objectives. One was his lack of eloquence and his lack of experience. He's, what, what he's really saying here is, Oh, Lord about this whole prophet to the nations thing. It doesn't sound like a great idea. Prophecy's not one of my spiritual gifts, as you know. I'm getting a C in rhetoric at the synagogue. Besides, I'm only a teenager. It's what he's saying, if he could say it today, right? He knew what God wanted him to do, but Jeremiah had forgotten that God is not limited to human weakness. God himself possesses everything that Jeremiah needs to answer the call, in fact, enabling weak tools to do strong jobs, it's God's standard operating procedure. His entire workforce is comprised of uncertain candidates. When God calls someone to fulfill a calling, he gives him or her all the gifts needed to get the job done. God does the gifting. But look at verse 7. It says, But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I'm only a youth. The Lord will not accept our excuses to not answer the call. Wait a minute, what are we talking about here? He won't accept our excuses. He didn't accept Jeremiah's. He's not going to accept ours today. Have you heard this kind of excuse before? I'm only a youth. That sound familiar? There's some, there's some people that use some excuses in the Bible, isn't there? Look at Moses. When God called him, he says, Oh Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've Spoken your servant, I'm slow of speech and tongue. He says this in Exodus 4.10. Moses also had his excuses to the Lord, but his excuses didn't change the call, and the Lord still sent him. Excuses really are just blockades for our calling is what, is what it is. 
The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. He answers him right away in, in Exodus four eleven through 12. God said the same thing to Jeremiah. To put it plainly, he says, don't give me that stuff. That's what he's saying. Don't say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you and, and say whatever I command you. And then the Lord reach out his, reach, reaches out his hand and touch my mouth and said to me, now I've put my words uh, in your mouth. Ben Franklin once said, he that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. Interestingly enough, um, Christopher Wright, I, I took a class with Dr. Stephen Smith here, um, who was with us for a little bit for, at Southwestern Seminary. This is an extension campus for that, by the way, in case you didn't know. Well, he said, hey, you want seminary credit for it? And I said, oh, I'm going to take you up on that. So he was teaching a class on Jeremiah and Lamentations over here in the chapel. And so I went to his classes. I didn't finish the assignments, but um, I learned a lot from him. What Christopher Wright says in his commentary is that this God or the Lord touching um, Jeremiah's mouth and putting his words there it was actually a hand reaching out. It was actually a supernatural experience is what Jeremiah would have witnessed. I found that pretty interesting. God didn't disqualify Jeremiah on the basis of his youth and inexperience. In fact, he treated him the same way he treated Moses. He didn't deny the basis of the prophet's objection. He did not argue with Jeremiah about his speaking credentials or debate with him about his age. Because he had reasonable doubts. I'm only a, I'm only a youth. He wasn't just, you know, debating God. He was just pointing out the facts. I'm just a kid just a teenager. But God has exposed his false humility for what it really was. It was just a lack of faith. That's really what it was. But the Lord is the one who equips for the calling. Look at verse 9. It says, Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I've put my words in your mouth. We have to trust God to equip us to do it. God equipped Jeremiah to be a prophet in some amazing ways. And I like how Ario White says, he says, Jeremiah was a polymath. He was a great scholar. He was a man of prodigal learning. He was versed in politics. He was versed in economics, in comparative religion, in geography, theology, botany, zoology, anthropology, military strategy, architecture, industry, agriculture, fine arts, and poetry. He was equipped in a lot. God did that in his life so that he could speak to the peoples, doesn't matter what their background was. And if God's called us to do a particular job, then he will do it for you like he did it for Jeremiah. He will give you everything you need for that job. If you know what the Lord wants you to do with your life, we've got to get busy trusting him to give us the grace to answer the call. And then another highlight is, is that our calling may involve a dangerous commission. Look at verse 7 through 8. It says, For to all whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. God's promise to rescue Jeremiah is a bit worrisome because he's probably like, rescue me from what? Be afraid of who? What are you talking about here? And it kind of reminds me of Shrek. I love that movie. Um, he's the, the king 
you know, sets his noble steed to go rescue this princess from a tower. And Shrek is that noble um, knight. And he's got his, his donkey there who never shuts up. And he's on his way to rescue the princess. And he gets to the tower and he rescues her and frees her. And then she's like, watch out for the fire-breathing dragon. And he's like, what dragon? Wait a minute. I, I didn't hear anything about a dragon. It's not always easy for Jeremiah to speak God's word. He was lonely a lot, but he had the Lord. His commission was not only dangerous, but depressing. The book of Jeremiah just doesn't have a happy ending. Um, the tragedy is is that there's no up point. It just keeps going down, down, down through the book, all the way into exile. But this sad story of the decline of God's people is from faith to idolatry to exile. There's a pattern here. But there's hope in God's judgment. He didn't need to be afraid or depressed because God's promise was was His presence. The Lord gave him the same promise He made to Moses, to Joshua, to all His children, I will be with you. So it's kind of like this. God sends a leader into maybe a, maybe a congregation or something, and, and he sends this leader or this person to speak, and he says, listen, I want you to go to these people, and I want you to point out their sin, and I want you to say, listen, you have, um, you have turned away from me. You have went after other gods. You have not put me first in your life. You've sinned against me, says the Lord our God. And so because of this, I'm raising up nations from the north to come against you and to take you into exile and carry you off. And there you shall be cut off. And so God is preparing Jeremiah to go do these things. And he's telling him these things ahead of time. And Jeremiah has all these you know, I'm sure all these thoughts running through his mind, how am I going to do this? But eventually what happens is, is that he is God's mouthpiece to this people, to the nations um, here. So what can we learn from Jeremiah chapter 1? Well, we can learn that every Christian has a calling. This general calling to receive Christ, of course, is for uh, all people, for God so loved the world, uh, but also a special calling to this sphere of obedience and ministry in God's kingdom. He wasn't just set apart for salvation. He was set apart for vocation. God had work for him to do. The prophet had a mission to accomplish and a message to deliver to his generation. But but we got to understand about Jeremiah is though Jeremiah's calling is specific for his time, for those people, his context, his setting, his particular vocation, the being a prophet. We have to understand that first about his calling. Because it's not for everyone. Um, But we do have a calling, and God has chosen us. Uh, And he does know us, and he has a plan for our life. I like how Meyer puts it, a Baptist pastor and evangelist from England. He puts it, from the foot of the cross, where we are cradled in our second birth, To the brink of the river where we lay down our armor, there is a path which he has prepared for us to walk in. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you and appointed you a prophet to the nations. 
God formed Jeremiah in the womb. He fashioned him together. He knit him together. He designed him for this purpose. It's the same thing for us. He's designed us. He's knitted us. He's fashioned us together for this purpose. Lesson number two is, is that you can know your calling. But do you want to know that is the question. Is that something that matters to you? Because quite frankly, I know a lot of Christians that just don't care. They just go with the flow. And sure, God can work through the all circumstances to make things happen to His glory, to His, you know, to His uh, will. Sure, absolutely. But man, is it an awesome thing to see someone who's equipped and educated and plugged into their calling with their natural abilities to make the maximum impact with their life in the short time that they have. And I've seen that too, the other side of the coin, and that's an awesome thing to see. Powerful, very powerful. The first step in knowing our calling is that to do everything that we already know God wants us to do. That's the first step. You can expect to be ready for God's calling or even to, you can't expect it and you can't recognize it unless we're obeying God's, what he's already revealed to us, the obvious things, spending time in his word and prayer, worship, fellowship, witnessing in the world. The second step that we can do to know our calling is to take action by completing like spiritual assessments and inventories. Um, I think we have one on the website, uh, and Lifeway has one as well. Uh, these things may not be 100% accurate, but they're designed to give you, to help you gauge these things. And it'll usually give you like a top three, like teaching, exhortation, whatever it is. Um, this is a tool to help you gauge in, in pursuing those things as you seek the Lord on them. But also some things, maybe discipled by a mature Christian. Maybe you need to be discipled. Um, it doesn't matter how old you are. You can be discipled, and you can disciple someone. It's critical for the church to do that. Um, but also, maybe you have a mentor or, or a supervisor or someone uh, that can, you can ask about your abilities and talents and get some feedback from them. Or also maybe journaling each day um, and, and over time maybe seeing this theme of how, you're, how God's using you. This day I did this and this and this and I, that and all that happened and this. And then you start to see this theme, this thread through your journal. That can also reveal some special talents or abilities or callings. But also, we just have to pursue the Lord on it through prayer. So there's four lists in Scripture that I want to give you to bless you, to help you with these. Four lists in Scripture that are critical for you to know. Whether you want to pursue the calling or not, it's important for you to know. Romans 12, 6 through 8. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And if you want these, I can give them to you. So you don't have to, I know I talk fast. That's just the way I'm put together. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. And the last one is 1 Peter 4, 9 through 11. Those are four lists. Yes, there are fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But these lists will give you an idea of different callings as you'll, you're familiar with the pastor, evangelist, teaching, those kind of things. But there's more in there, the gift of hospitality or the gift of, of generosity, um, those kind of callings where God has just fashioned you that your greatest calling and joy is to just bless people, to just to find someone that day, maybe each and every day to bless them. That's also another gifting. 
or calling. Jeremiah 1, uh, 7 says, But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a youth, for to all whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. The Lord revealed to Jeremiah what his calling was, and he wouldn't, sent, he wouldn't be sent with his word to the people. Lesson number three is, is that God wants you to know your calling. Because he tells Jeremiah, doesn't he? Ask God to reveal your calling. If you ask, he's promised to answer. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. He gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. God wants us to know our calling since he's the one that created us with it. Jeremiah 1.11-19 says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, You've seen well. For I'm watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. This is a dialogue between the Lord and Jeremiah. The God, God wants us to dialogue with him about our callings, about himself, who he is, to know him deeper, and what he has us here for at this particular time in history. So let's wrap up some things here, the couple of takeaways. We have a general callings on our lives as God's people to know Christ and to share him with others. That's most important. And we have a special calling on our lives as God's people that he has specifically created us for, that we can live out our callings as we walk with the Lord using our spiritual gifts, talents, abilities that are unique to each one of us. And, and, and maybe you still don't understand. I mean, there's a lot. We talk about this all the time at DCC. There's, there's a lot, lot, lot to our calling. There really is. And I, maybe you're thinking that you just don't still understand it. Where do I begin? What should I do about this whole calling thing? Is there a calling for me in my work? Is there something for me to do at this time, at this place? But the point is, is that God is calling us to speak with people about Jesus. I mean, that's, that's the calling we can all answer, is that he's called us to speak with people about Jesus. It doesn't matter if we think that we're too old or too young, not a good enough speaker. That doesn't matter to fulfill our callings in our lives. The good news is that the Lord promises, he promises to finish the good work that he begins in our lives until the day he returns. And so really the question is, is are we interested, are we pursuing our calling and in, in plugging into what God has designed us for? Do we know it? Do we care? Are we pursuing it? Because I can tell you from experience, it's a powerful thing to be doing that. And he says this, Behold, I've put my words in your mouth. See, I've set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. That is the same for us today. The prayers of the saints break down strongholds, and we're still here planting God's seeds, right? We're still about his kingdom work. And if God has done all this for us, will we still go and will, will, will we go wherever he tells us and say whatever he wants us to say, fulfilling our calling, even if it turns out to be a dangerous commission? Amen?
Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, God, that you have created us and fashioned us for a specific reason. First and most important is to know you and to share you with others. That the Lord Jesus Christ's name would be proclaimed in all the earth and that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. But also, Father, thank you that you've created us special, unique, different from each one. We're different in the way that we look, in the way that we think, in many ways, how you fashioned us, special talents and abilities. Sure, some of the same, but different. That we could pursue a specific calling in the context that you've got us in today, now. Leading companies, working the drive through at McDonald's, serving as a deacon at Prestonwood, whatever that is, thank you, God, that you have put us in a place where we can live out our calling and impact your kingdom. Father, I pray for this class, God, that we would be about understanding and knowing you more and understanding and knowing more about ourselves as you have created us and you have called us to this life. Father, I pray that you would bless us as we do these things, as we would pursue you and as we would pursue our calling in life. And maybe sometimes that would be uncomfortable for us. Maybe it would be a switching of jobs. Maybe it would be a switching of mindsets, seeing opportunity around us. But Father, whatever those decisions are, whatever the way that you lead us, God, I pray that you would bless those steps, give us wisdom and guidance and that your spirit would be our guiding light through all of that. Father, please uh, be with us as we go from here. Please protect us, keep us, help us, Father, to fulfill all that you would have us fulfill in our lifetimes, to live with an urgency for your kingdom, God. Thank you for these lives here today, God. In Jesus' name, amen.